welcome to A Court of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Through this show, we hope to provide a resource of education and encouragement for students, parents, and leaders about the revival of Christian values in our community. On A Court of Three Strands, we'll focus on the three foundational strands that make a strong, flourishing Christian culture, the church, the family, and education. We desire to order these things around God's word to advance Christ's kingdom and so glorify him and bless our community. My name is Ron Young, headmaster of Providence Academy and founder of the Palatine Institute. And I'm Noah Tetzner, a curious student of classical education and podcast producer. Through our conversations, we look forward to sharing fellowship, knowledge, and practical wisdom for his glory here on the Quarter Three Strands podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to A Court of Three Strands. Today is our final episode in our series on intellectual virtues. Mr. Young, could you do a quick review for us? Absolutely. So by, by intellectual virtues, we meant the natural endowments of the human mind. Um, and though, and I've said this over and over again, uh, you can look at a lot of philosophers, a lot of different ideas, seven virtues, intellectual virtues, five intellectual virtues, whatever. There's all sorts of lists. For our purposes, um, we've talked about three, uh, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. We talked about the intellectual virtue of knowledge, meaning the simple apprehension of the truth, right? Our minds can grasp hold, uh, apprehension, right. to apprehend truth. Um, and then we talked last episode about understanding, and that is the comprehension of truth, and the ability to derive truth from truth. You know, we didn't talk about this. Science, forgot to talk about the scientific method as being a part of that understanding, right? You can, you, you have a theory and you contest it based on these laws of yeah. logic and, and such in order to, to derive truth from truth. Well, today we're going to talk about the, um, the intellectual virtue of wisdom. What is the virtue of wisdom? That is a good question. Wisdom in this regard that we're talking about as an intellectual virtue has to do with judgment sound judgment. Now there, there are two kinds of wisdom, theoretical that has to do with judgments and there are practical, but that practical wisdom of prudence that we'll talk about actually next episode, as we talk about the moral virtues, we look at the practical wisdom of, of prudence as a moral virtue, the intellectual virtue of wisdom as wisdom. Um, we're we're going to talk about today has to do with this sound judgment and particularly it has to do with principles. So by, by judgment, I, I really mean it's, it's the, the idea of being able to properly order truth or, or these, you know, these principles. Um, and, and again, it's theoretical, not practical wisdom. Prudence is the, the moral virtue. So, so let me, let me give you an example of that. So one of the things we talked about in the idea of understanding is this idea of, you know, some of the laws of, of uh, identity and, and non-contradiction and, and things like that. And we, and we talked about abortion, you know, since Roe v. Wade was overturned recently, it kind of led our conversation into that, that direction. So I'm, I'm going to talk about wisdom using that same kind of abortion thing. And I know, I know you might be going, well, what are they going on and on about abortion? Right. You know, it's relevant. <laughs> Roe v. Wade just got overturned. Um, so there's wisdom has to do with, with principles. So, 
you have a, a woman who is, um, who has a, uh, uh, is pregnant unexpectedly and, uh, and she can't afford to be pregnant because she's got a job that she needs to continue to, to, to go. Right. So to, you know, for her livelihood or whatever. And, and so, um, so one of the things when making a judgment about decisions that are going to be made is, is you have to actually make a judgment on what's more important, a human life, the baby, her livelihood, right? Right. Now, this sounds in our world right now, what we're being told is because I don't have a uterus, I cannot make a judgment. That's stupid, right? Right. <laughs> it's an intellectual virtue that, that human beings have the capacity to make judgments with or without uteruses, right? Yeah. With or without being in the circumstances. Now, th- there, are, there are going to be parts of prudence that we'll talk about later about knowing what to do and stuff. It, it's very helpful to be able to have some empathy or sympathy in terms of um, a, a better knowledge or understanding of the experience of a person, right? But when it comes to the intellectual virtue of wisdom, this theoretical virtue, it, it's, it's really about judgment and sound judgment. And, and we would all say that the life of a human being made in the image of God is more valuable than your job. It's more valuable than my job. So it wasn't that long ago. I'll just say within my lifetime, that if a man got a woman pregnant, it would not be something where the man would go, well, it's your choice, your body, your choice. You do whatever you want. If you want to keep the baby, that's your business. If you want to kill the baby, that's your business. Um, you know, or, or they might even say, you know, I'll pay for the abortion, you know, cause they're a gentleman. Something <laughs> in my day earlier in my life, it would be expected that the man is going to marry that woman that's called doing the right thing. Right. For most all of human history up until yesterday, that's a no brainer. Every human being can judge that a child needs a mother and a father, Mm. that the child needs the stability of a marriage for that family to flourish. And that is the responsibility of the people engaging in sex outside of marriage to do the right thing. And to sacrifice whatever their personal fulfilling dreams were for the sake of a human being. But Mr. Young, what if they weren't in love? What if the mother and father weren't in love? What in the world? <laughs> Playing the devil. Where did that come from? I know. We, yeah. Um, so in, in all honesty, it doesn't matter. The right thing to do is to get married for the sake of the child. That's love. Right. right. That is, that is love to get married, to have a stable, stable home. The, the mom's going to take care of that child. The dad's going to provide a home and, you know, it, and, and do it. And, and this is like a no brainer. Like you don't even think about it. That's just how things were. It always was. And, and it, and it should be yeah. right. Well, first of all, they shouldn't be having sex outside of marriage, by the way, boys and girls, if you're listening to this, sex outside of marriage is wrong. It's just, wrong. It's against God's law. So don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, 
anyway, so going back to this, yeah. what if they're not in love? Okay. So most marriages throughout human history were not based upon the romantic feelings that a man and a woman had for each other. Mm. Most marriages throughout human history were arranged. Wow. And, yeah. and typically what happened is, is that you got married and then you learned to love one another. And yet people had way more kids historically per, per couple than they do now in the United States. Yes. It's fascinating. Yeah. And, and they, and it sounds like they were happier. Did you <laughs> notice that? Yeah. My, my, my daughter and I were talking recently about, about this and about the, the, the episode in last season where I talked about growing children and, and we were just talking about how in the example I gave in that illustration about this church that I pastored and you had all these, you had all these families that had like one or two children. And, and when you talk to them, how many of them had like huge families growing up? I remember this man had eight, there was eight of them, right? Brothers and sisters. Yeah. And, and they were farmers out in Door County and he had nothing but fond memories about his childhood. Yeah. And yet they bought into this thing that they needed in order to be happy and for them to be fulfilled. He and his wife limited the size of their family for two children. Guess what happened to the children, right? So my, my daughter's saying this as she's meeting people like, you know, one, I told her she's unique, right? We had five kids, but we know a ton of families that are, have five or more kids in them. Yeah. Right. When you're in the Christian and homeschooling communities and the, and you know what I mean? There's like huge families. And, and yet um, as she's off to college and they're talking with families, she can tell the, she can tell people who come from bigger families. Yeah. They tend to be happy. Things don't stress them out. You know, things don't quite go the way they, they do. They just, they have a, you know, they enjoy it. But, um, but then you have the, those kids that there was just them or, or they had one other sibling and most of their life was spent in their room. Like, you know, they come home from work, they grab dinner, go up to the room and they're on the computer the rest of the night. They don't really have a relationship with their sibling, you know, or if they do, it's kind of, yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and their parents have done everything in their power to make them happy. And then they grow up thinking that that's what the world's going to do to them. And they're sorely mistaken and they're lonely and they're depressed. I don't know if the idea of being married for self-fulfillment or for love's sake means let's make children miserable. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It, it just, yeah. it, it doesn't, it, you know, that's too narrow of a question. What if they're not in love? Like the idea is, it's like you learn to love. So that's wisdom. Like wisdom throughout history would have been if, you know, and again, bringing it back to abortion, if, if you were a man and you got a girl pregnant mm-hmm. through wisdom, you would marry her and provide. Well, well that would be a, the prudent thing to do. Prudent again, that's a moral okay. virtue, but wisdom would tell you the life of that child has a higher priority than my own pleasure. It has a higher priority than my own dream. It's a higher priority than, does that make sense? Yeah. And this is the, th- this is the thing, Noah, is that that's a univ- that would be a universally accepted thing through all times and places throughout our world at all, right? All times, places, cultures. That's, that's just the idea. 
it's only been recent. We've abandoned wisdom. Well, we first abandoned the idea of truth and knowledge and understanding and now wisdom. There's no, there's no wisdom. Yeah. You know, how much of that do you think is generational? Oh, it's, it's big time. So there's this generation before mine, (laughs) (laughs) the baby boomers. I wasn't going to throw them under the bus. Yeah, I am going to throw them. Right. And, and this is, this is the, the, the beginning of it really is um, this idea of, of looking at things as a, as social constructs rather than truth. And that, and, and to talk about, um, you know, what they call the me generation. Yeah. Right. That it's, that life is about self-fulfillment. So if you ever do fascinating thing is looking at the, the uh, history of the American dream. Mm. So the American dream from the beginning was I'm coming to America and doing all that I can so that my children have a better future than me. And then the baby boomers came around and said, the American dream is that I have a better future that I have a, I have a better life than my parents. Does that, does that make sense? Right. So the idea is, is that I'm not going to live sacrificially for the sake of the next generation. It was, I'm going to do everything in my power to be fulfilled, you know, right. Even if it means my children having a miserable life. Right. So I'm Gen X, Gen X. And we were often called the latchkey kids. Okay. Right. Least amount of time spent with us with ever in the history of the, the human race. I think, yeah. uh, the, Parents spent the less, least amount of time with, with Gen X than they have. Like even today, parents are spending more time with their kids than, than back then. But you have this idea of, of, um, of pursuing self-fulfillment. And that becomes the orientation of, of a generation. And then when they've been in power now in the media, they've been in power in, the, in politics, they've been in power in, in the uh, in our educational realms, both in K through 12 education and in colleges. Yeah. And everything gets oriented in that way that life is really about you, not about the future generation. Right. Think, think yeah. of it, think of it as politics today. Like you're, you know, you and I were at the gubernatorial debate um, Providence Academy hosted the, the gubernatorial primary for the Republican party. It was wonderful to, to see that. It was great. I, you know, I just was thrilled that they were able to ha- have it in our new facility. Yes. Uh, it was great. And what's interesting is, is what are the, the questions are really about, you know, how do we reverse the Democrats? What, what do we do about this or that? And, um, you know, and I'm thinking, where's a, where's a vision talking about young people? Like, like literally it's still about me Yeah. almost, even though, all the candidates are my generation now. They're not baby boomers. Well, actually, one is the uh, Rathman was a baby boomer, um, but the other the other two are definitely Gen Xers. But you, you you get this sense in which the appeal to what we're going to do is reverse course so that so that my life is better, and it's not about raising future generations. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like right now, think about this. You're how old are you, Noah? Twenty one. 21 years old. Think of all your friends. What do they think about the prospects of them like getting married and having a house and growing a family? Uh, I would say for most of them, it's not even on their radar. No. And you're 21 and they're 21. It's not even on their radar. You know, when I was 21, I was looking to get married. You know why? Because I was about ready. And how old were you when you got married? I was 
a little older than I, 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 I was what, 24, I think. Okay. And my wife was t- barely 21. Wow. No, I was 25. I turned 25 before you got married. Okay. And, and my wife was 21. Um, barely, um, you know, Rob in the cradle. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, it's still obvious that I did when you see us together. <laughs> I had to make up for the last episode when I talked. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, but but it it is um, it was never a thought that I couldn't get married, have a family, buy a house. It was never even a thought. Today, it's like you. What's a young person going to get married and buy a $350,000 three bedroom home? How are they going to do that? What job are they going to get? You're going to go right from college to the six figure job. No, that's not going to happen. It's, it's, it's crazy. So there's, I, I'm, I'm, I talked about, um, I, and I talk about this a lot. When's the last time a two bedroom, one bath starter home was ever built in the state of Wisconsin. I don't even know why, because there's not profit in that. Yeah. There's profit in, in building the ginormous three to five bedroom, five bath bath house or something. Right. The, the things that cost half a million dollars, that's where there's profit. And who's buying those? Not my kids, not people your age. Right. It's people my age. Right. It's all revolving around us. Yeah. You know, the yeah. world revolves around us now. I should feel better about this, but I don't feel better about this because I have a bunch of kids and I really want them to do well. Well, so, so if I may ask, so here's a great example, because this is, this is super practical as we talk about, you know, just the intersection of, of, of school and family, et cetera, is, you know, I was talking to somebody a couple months back and uh, the man's like, I want to say he's 30 or 40 years old, homeschool Uh graduate saying, you know, homeschool graduate. And he was telling the story of how he distinctly remembers the day his mom came home and was crying because she quit her veterinary practice. She had spent years building this business and decided to homeschool her kids. And it was sacrificial love. Yeah. Yeah. While, while she gave up her dream, it was just in her. It was like without question that she was going to be a homemaker for her family. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to go boast on my wife again, but I, I remembered I met when I first met my wife, um, and we were just acquaintances. And I remember thinking, man, she's a smart cookie. Like she's, she's smart. Uh, find out she was a national merit scholar. She, you know, just really, she, she graduated college in three years. Wow. Got one B right. I know it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but I remember asking her, so what's your major again? And she said, uh, it was like, uh, socials, social studies with a history emphasis or something like that. I forgot. It was something like history and, um, and maybe it was a minor in political science or something. But um, I said, Oh, what do you, what do you want to do? And she goes, well, most everyone says I should go to law school, but really I want to be a mom. I want to, I want to, I want to get married, stay at home and be a mom. And I almost asked her to marry me. Right then and there. And, and, and what was interesting is, is it wasn't necessarily because she said she wanted to be a mom. It's that she knew what she wanted. Yeah. Like she knew what she wanted and that was so appealing to me. And, and, the, and, and I, and, and this is always my advice to young married couples uh, or young people getting married is do everything in your power to live off of the man's salary, the husband's salary, do everything in your power, right? When you work, wow. when you're working, both of you are working. You don't have no kids. Yeah. Live frugally, live in that, you know, one bedroom apartment 
Yeah. As long as you can save up money, but learn to live on that one salary because it gives you options, right? When you do start having children, then your wife has the option, right? The woman has an option of continuing to work or um, being a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. So it, the, the heart, the, there's such pressure like today. The, the assumption is, is if you're going to buy one of these expensive houses and have, and, and as a married couple is that both of you are working and they're going to enslave you. <laughs> yeah. It, right. You're right. enslaved. Both of you must work or else you're not going to be able to live and think of the pressure of that. And then you start having kids and the maternal instinct pops in and, and the woman really would like to stay at home, but she can't, she has to leave the child at childcare and go to work and it kills her every time. Right. Not every time. I mean, there's, and don't get me wrong. I, there are some uh, moms who, who are, are not necessarily, you know, yeah. I don't want to say cut out for that sounds horrible, but yeah. Do you know what I mean? I it's, know you mean. It, yeah. it, it, it's, uh, it's, and I'm not even, I'm not even trying to make a moral judgment to say you're wrong. If you keep going to work after you've had children, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that it is really nice that you have the option that you can freely choose what's best for your family rather than being forced by the system to have to work or else you're going to lose everything. Now, I mean, think of the pressure that that puts on families. Yeah. What happens if something goes wrong? What happens if the child gets sick or has to go to the hospital? What happens if you get sick, go to the hospital? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's untenable. So biggest advice I could say is, is try to live off of the, off of the husband's salary because it, it'll help keep you free. And until you get to that point of having kids, making a choice, even you're able to sock away a lot of money and pay off all your debts. Yeah. Don't get into debt, by the way. So, so even when you were young, Mr. Young, like even when you were in your twenties, you were already not thinking about yourself and thinking about the next generation. Correct. That, I mean, that's like, so when you think of, when you think of what life is going to be like, um, or, or what's your, what's your dream, what's the good life, you know, these kinds of thoughts, it always included family. Who would have thought that you can have any kind of good life apart from uh, raising a family? You know, do you know what I mean? It's, it's a um, nowadays, nowadays to say that is kind of, is very controversial, right? But God made us in a certain way. Remember what the God's word says. It's not good for man to be alone. Uh Therefore he made it's a helper suitable for him. And this idea of help and dominion of, of uh, procreation and, and sharing of the task of dominion is good. It's good. And when we do the things that God made us for, it's good. So, so back to the intellectual virtue of wisdom, wisdom is looking at what's, what's the higher principle. The higher principle is not my own gratification. The higher principle is seeking and pursuing what's good, right? What's true, what's good. And, and if, if I made an error, a sin, and I slept with a woman uh, and, and she got pregnant, then the wisdom would tell me that the right thing to do 
is to orient my life in a different way now yeah. because there's a human being that I'm bringing into the world. Right. 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 And, the, and, and in that act, by God's grace, there's a redemption that's happening in that. Right. No, no child that's conceived as some sort of curse. A child is a blessing. Right. So, so the, the idea is, is orienting yourself and orienting your mind towards God and his purposes. It's not like, Oh, I made a mistake and now I have to correct my mistake by killing a child. Mm. The idea is, is that I made a mistake. This is a sin against God, but he is, he is bringing a child, a life into this world, which is always a blessing. Now, if that's the case, then I have to orient my own thing, thinking and thoughts and stuff around what God is doing and not what I want. And, th- and that's where things are screwed up totally in our world. Right. Is no one thinks that way anymore. In fact, you're looked on as weird or somehow that that's wrong. Right. To sacrifice yourself for the sake of another person. Yeah. So, okay. So Mr. Young, you know, the way that you, structured your family very similar to the way that I was raised in my way. My parents structured their family, you know, would be considered controversial, right? You know, like father works, wife stays at home, you know, homeschools, the kids is very involved in their education. But if you look throughout, you know, the past thousands of years like that, that is literally kind of our human nature. So would you say that family structure is wisdom? I would say that that has to do with the the family structuring the family around how things are true and good in order for it to be beautiful. I I would say that that's, that's a consideration. Okay. I don't think it's necessarily always the case, right? So you think of, of uh, think of Proverbs 31, right? So she has a family, but she's also, making things and selling them and buying a field and, mm. and producing. Right. You know, and, and I think the, the, the issue isn't um, women working. I, I think it's always had to do with the orientation, right? Men, men have tended to be oriented towards the world and women have tended to be oriented towards their home or to their household. Um, and, and that, and I think that, that comes to the, uh, the, um, the admonition in the Bible for women to be keepers of the home. And, and that again, is I, I, I don't know if we talked about it in a previous episode, but th- that idea of a keeper is not a derogatory term. That's a priestly role. Yeah. Like this is a, this is a high vocation that is being alluded to here as part of what God has made a woman to, to do. And it's a, and it's a high and noble task. It's, it's the Proverbs 31 kind of show, shows that. Um, the, the stupid NIV, right? It's just <laughs> yeah. a horrible translation yeah. of this says, uh, that they want women to be, to keep busy at home. That sounds so, <laughs> that sounds goodness. so demeaning, right? Yeah. From this high idea of a keeper yeah. to, you know, uh, stay busy or something, you know, it's like, yeah. Oh, just stay busy at home. Now that's not, that's not the biblical, the biblical vision isn't this demeaning work for or menial work for women at all. It's a high noble task that God has called them to be uh, um, uh, a, a keeper of their home, a homemaker. Yeah. They're, they're literally making a home for their family and keeping it as a, as a, like as a priest, like to, to guard it, to, to yeah. care for it. 
like the Levites did with the temple, like Adam and Eve were to do for the garden. That's the, the noble task. Now, it, does this mean that women can't work outside of the home? No, that's not, there's no prohibition of that. Yeah. Uh, again, as you go back to Proverbs 31, this ideal woman, she's not staying at home. She's out buying fields and selling things yeah. and doing that. It just tends to be oriented towards their family rather than out towards the world. Yeah. But that's a whole nother episode we'll have to talk about. Yeah. So kind of going back to wisdom. Yeah. Again, it's the proper ordering of truth. And it's and it's being able to look and make judgments about what is what is true and what is good and and those orders. I I think in a previous episode when we were introducing the intellectual virtues, I I used the illustration of the, you know, a, a, a kid and their dog fall through the ice and you don't know them right? Wisdom would tell you that the life of the human being is more valuable. So you're going to save the human being. And then if you can, you'd save the dog because the dog is valuable too. It's a good (laughs) thing to save the dog's life. Right. But it's, it's, but if you only have to, you only have time for one, you would, you would, you would save the child but because they're made of the image. will even argue about that. Yes, they will, because they're not wise. We live in a foolish culture. Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, how, how does this play out in, in our education, right? Again, Providence Academy, classical education is a, is a continually looking at uh, scripture, looking at um, literature, looking at all these things where we can make judgments. Yeah. One of my favorite questions, like when, when a student's reading literature or, or even the Bible or, you know, what have you, like, like, you know, so, so uh, we, we read about um, uh, Achilles and Agamemnon, right? In the, in the Iliad. Yeah. And uh, Agamemnon is, uh, has taken uh, the priest of Apollo's daughter and, uh, and there's bad things happening. Apollo's upset and he's shooting his arrows at the Greeks, right? And so mm-hmm. this disease is going through and, and they realize that something's wrong and that, it, and then the prophet or the, the, the priest comes and, um, and asks for, uh, to redeem his daughter. Like he's willing to pay for her. Yeah. Right. And, um, and, uh, Agamemnon's going to refuse. And, uh, and, and this is like dumb, right? So Achilles is, you know, you know, you, you gotta, you know, you gotta speak, speak out and you gotta do it. And, um, anyway, it, long story short is, is that, uh, he ends up giving her back, but takes, Achilles is war bride whom evidently by this time they've kind of love each other. Yeah. And it's, it's, and so he pouts the tent and everything's, you know, so, so some of the questions we'd, we'd always ask is, is like, well, what should like during these, these events, right. I'd ask this, a student like, well, what, what do you think he should have done? Right. So, so we know what he did and why he did it and the conflict he has, but then, then to get us thinking through things in terms of wisdom like what should he have done? And then you, and you kind of go through and part of it is comparing, okay, I have a knowledge of not only the Iliad, I have a knowledge of the Bible. I, I have an understanding of these things because of what I've studied. Yeah. And you kind of go back to like Saul and David. Yeah. Right. What, what should, what should Saul have done with David after killing Goliath? Right. He gets jealous and he seeks to kill him just like Agamemnon wants to shut Achilles down though. This is the hero. This is like the, the literally the best thing he got going. Yeah. And, um, 
And, and you, you can look at this with Macbeth too, right? In the, the Shakespearean play, you have, you have a, a Macbeth um, defends Scotland and then, uh, and the, the king comes to, uh, to congratulate him, to, to honor him, right? And this is all good. Instead, Macbeth plots to kill him and it's not, it's not good. And, yeah. and the idea is there's this biblical thing about like, you should honor the hero. When the king honors the hero, and glorifies the hero, the king always receives greater honor. Mm. It always happens. Why? Because that's part of the biblical pattern. Yeah. Christ is the hero. God glorifies Christ. Christ in return then glorifies the father. It's just this. And then, and then the model that we have between the king and the hero ought to reflect that. Yeah. So Agamemnon should glorify the hero Achilles and by Achilles winning in, in battle, it would glorify Agamemnon. So that's what should have happened. Right. It's what Saul should have done to David. David, you know, the, the crowds are saying, you know, Saul kills his, his uh, thousands but or hundreds and David kills his thousands. You know, Saul should have stopped the chariot and said, no, you have it all wrong. I've killed my hundreds, but David's killed his tens of thousands. He's killed his hundreds of thousands, right? Even heap more glory upon him. Yeah. And what does that do to the king? It makes, it brings more glory to him and to his kingdom. Yeah. And it reflects God and, and Christ. Right. The father and, and his son. Right. And, uh, and anyway, in doing these things, looking at the principles that we see in, in the Bible, the principles that we see, um, then we can, we can apply them in, in literature and in life and in history and those types of things. Yeah. Kids are then learning how to become wise, how to make judgments. Yeah. How to make, so I can compare and contrast and make good judgments that, I think it's Aquinas who said it is, it is the, um, it is the part of the wise yeah. to order and to judge, right. To order and to judge the part of the wise man is to order and to judge. And what we desperately need is why our wise people yeah, to order and to judge in our world. And, and so th- this constant reflection that you'll have from seventh grade, even on to 12th grade, particularly 10th through 12th grade. Yeah. This reflection on things, the reflection on truth, how do you apply it? How do you compare this to other things? How does this, how does this reflect from scripture? It's growing people to become wise so they can make good judgments, right? Again, theoretically, theoretical judgments. Yeah. But then that is going to lead to the moral virtues and the first moral virtue that we'll talk about is prudence, this practical virtue. So now that I have the wisdom part down, I can apply it, which is prudence. Yeah. Well, Mr. Young, this has been great. And, you know, again, this episode six of season two here wraps our uh, series on the intellectual virtues. What can listeners look forward to next week? Sure. So we began our four part series of the moral virtues. And, and so what I want to do is I'm going to, I think these are really important, these moral virtues. And, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the moral virtues, prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. Um, I'm going to talk about them, what they mean, and then I'm going to talk about minor virtues that are part of those major virtues. Mm-hmm. And, that, and we can look at them in terms of how we can train our own children or even ourselves to become more prudent, to become more just, yeah. become more... F- uh, um, temperate to become more fortitudinous, fortitudinous. How would you say that? I don't even know. Yeah. Uh, to be, to be, uh, you know, stronger and more courageous. There you go. There we go. (laughs) 
Yeah, so that's what we can look for in the next four weeks, the moral virtues. 